I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is Newsbeat. Hey, everyone. This is Manny Faces, co-producer, audio editor, and host of the multi-award-winning Newsbeat podcast, where we cut through the mainstream media talking points and excuses by corporate and elected officials to give you the cold, hard truth through our incendiary blend of independent journalism and music, often incorporating compelling original lyrical contributions from brilliant hip-hop artists. Now, two years ago, we brought you the troubling story of how the NYPD, according to human rights groups, orchestrated a pre-dawn assault on peaceful demonstrators protesting the death of George Floyd just 10 days earlier. More than 250 of the estimated 300 people who participated in the march were arrested, including legal observers who were legally present despite a controversial curfew imposed in response to unrest in the city. An exhaustive investigation by the international nonprofit Human Rights Watch raised serious questions about the justifications for the crackdown made by the NYPD's top brass, including pronouncements that a gun and gasoline were discovered at the demonstration, which the report refuted. Here's a clip that we played in that episode. On the evening of June 4th, around 300 protesters gather at what's known as The Hub, the intersection of 149th Street and 3rd Avenue in Mott Haven, a predominantly black and brown neighborhood in the South Bronx, for one of many marches happening around the city that day. It was a peaceful protest, but this march would end with a violent police crackdown and mass arrest. Human Rights Watch has interviewed and reviewed testimony from dozens of witnesses and analyzed over 150 videos taken by protesters and bystanders. We found that the New York Police Department used the 8 p.m. curfew to justify a plan to trap, assault, and arrest the protesters. The group analyzed over 150 videos to piece together what happened that day in the Bronx and found no evidence of violence. Here's what Ida Sawyer of Human Rights Watch told us. Research uh, the interviews that we conducted reviewing 155 videos recorded during the protest. We found no evidence of any violence, threats of violence, vandalism carried out by the protesters or the organizers. The police did point to some of the social media flyers and claimed that this was incitement to violence and that they were calling in gang members. The only thing we found, there were some flyers posted on social media that had a police car burning and one had someone jumping over a police officer, but there were no you know, explicit calls for violence. So to recap, People who were peacefully protesting the murder of George Floyd, whose death would have largely remained hidden if it weren't for eyewitnesses' video posted to social media, were themselves the victims of a police-driven narrative that was later debunked by video evidence taken by bystanders during the protest. And that brings us to Arizona. Earlier this year, the state legislature passed a law that would have made it illegal for anyone to record police within eight feet, an arbitrary distance set by lawmakers. That's right, illegal to record police. Defenders of the law claimed it was necessary to protect police because, quote, police officers have no way of knowing whether the person approaching is an innocent bystander or an accomplice of the person they're arresting who might assault them. Now, the courts for years have held that recording police is protected by the First Amendment. So the ACLU sued and got a federal judge in September to temporarily block it from going into effect. But as with any challenge to civil rights, the threat of such laws creates a chilling effect. 
And this comes on top of a wave of anti-protest laws and aggressive behavior by authorities against protesters, including in Arizona, where the police and county attorney literally invented a fake gang and charged protesters as being members of this fictitious gang. It's a wild story and one we had to bring to you. Now, breaking this all down for us, Mukund Rati is an attorney and Stanton Fellow at the nonprofit digital rights organization Electronic Frontier Foundation, which filed an amicus brief in the police videotaping case, and Joseph Larios, an organizer with Mass Liberation AZ, a grassroots organization in Arizona that played a key role in documenting the arrest of dozens of protesters in 2020. As always, a quick reminder to follow this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, we're everywhere. Rate us, review us, and if you can, please subscribe to our free Substack newsletter at newsbeat.substack.com. You'll get new episodes, additional commentary, and much more. All right, folks, buckle in. This is Suppressing Truth, Arizona's attempt to ban recording the police. State senators in Arizona set to vote on a bill that would ban people from filming cops unless they're at least eight feet away from them. Penalties for filming a cop up close would include up to 30 days in jail. The state's House of Representatives already passed the proposal, and it comes after both Oklahoma and Florida passed laws that could punish people for posting videos online that include officers' personal information. Nothing good comes from getting close to a cop in a tense situation. Arizona State Representative and former New York Port Authority police officer John Cavanaugh wants to pass a bill to ban recording police within eight feet unless you have their consent. You can photograph the scene easily from eight feet away with today's very sophisticated cell phones. Who's there to, to enforce this or measure it? Well, no one's there with a tape measure. Everybody pretty much knows what eight feet is. You know, when we first heard about it, it was definitely like, like I felt it in my stomach, right? Where you just feel really nauseous. And that's in part because Arizona is crazy about, you know, wanting to put forward really bad legislation that will just go and infringe on people's civil rights left and right. It felt heavy just because our, our legislature has been really conservative and ultra, ultra pro police. Okay, I'm gonna ask you to put the camera down or we're gonna have to take it from you and place you in custody. Hmm. It's not uncommon for police to get into encounters like the one we just saw in the era of smartphones. Now an Arizona state lawmaker wants to limit folks from getting up close and recording police officers doing their job. So the likelihood of it passing, we felt even right away, it was pretty high. The likelihood that we would have to drag it through a legal battle, like so many other pieces of legislation that comes out of the Arizona legislature, was just added weight to movement work that already has so much weight thrust upon it. And so that's that's definitely how it felt. <laughs> it was like, okay, and another another way that the state is trying to use to take movement's legs out from under them. It's interesting because here our experience with organizing is that we we do have such a close relationship with the legal community, right? It's kind of like a movement legal community here. Those relationships have been born out of fight after fight after fight. And so, you know, our organization did what, what we could do, which was amplify the message, kind of raise the alarms about what's happening with this bill, do the, the community education, you know, do our part to at least put it in public record, even if it was falling on deaf ears. 
And then making sure that we were ready for the legal community's asks when they were going to have them. And so making sure that we had our information, especially from the uprising that we had here in 2020. Our organization was the holder of a lot of the video evidence and footage from what happened over a year <laughs> worth of protesting. Today with breaking news in our national lead, former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin is now in custody and is being charged with third degree murder and manslaughter for the killing of George Floyd. Chauvin was the officer who kneeled on the neck of Floyd, an unarmed black man, for more than eight minutes as Floyd begged that he could not breathe. Soon after, Floyd obviously had been killed. The charging documents spelling out that Floyd was non-responsive for almost three minutes before Chauvin removed his knee from Floyd's For the 12th night in a row, a coast-to-coast call to action. Turning violent in Portland, Oregon, where police clashed with protesters well into the night. And in Seattle, where police appeared to clear protesters with flashbangs after the police chief ordered the suspension of tear gas and crowd control Friday. So the Arizona legislature passed House Bill 2319, which criminalized recording police activity within eight feet of that activity. And it would have become effective in September of 2022. The legislature was concerned about people recording the police and allegedly interfering with police activity in doing so. Big picture here. Do you have a problem with people recording police or only how close they are? only how close they are. Uh, I recognize a constitutional right to record the police in a public place or a private place if you have a legal right to be there. But there are safety concerns for the police officer and for the person recording. Uh, I was a cop for 20 years, and I know that if you are taking police action, arresting somebody, you're focused on the person you're arresting. If somebody suddenly starts to walk up to you, especially from behind, you don't know if it's an ordinary citizen filming you or an accomplice or friend of the person you're arresting is going to assault you. But and even if the person is don't not we, don't we though Don't we though already have interfering with a police officer as a, as a crime, resisting arrests a crime? What's with the, sec- the new bill? Well, the problem is, is that if you're not blocking the cop, touching the cop, trying to get in the way of the cop, you're not interfering. Standing nearby is not interfering. So we need to, and that would of course be a crime you'd be arrested for. But even if the person's not a threat to the cop, it's the person when they get close is a distraction. The officer can turn around to see what's going on. The person is so close, a foot away from them. When that happens, the person who's arrested could assault him, could escape, or could, or could try and so destroy you- evidence. And it passed this law in response to incidents wherein people had recorded the police, exposed misconduct, and brought attention to police activity. Uh, And that obviously led to tension between communities, activists, and law enforcement. And a lot of this uh, came to a head after the murder of George Floyd and the protests and conflicts between protesters and police that came after that. 
Um, it led to a lot of situations where police were caught on camera doing things that appeared to be unlawful. They involved excessive force, police arresting people who were doing nothing wrong, etc. And that was a fight in a lot of states, including in Arizona. And that's kind of what led to this law being passed. No probable cause. A judge repeatedly ruling this weekend. Phoenix police arrested people at the protest without evidence and probable cause. In fact, the ABC 15 investigators discovered officers used the same copy and paste statement as evidence in a huge batch of cases on Saturday night. Now, the city is facing serious allegations about violating the civil rights of those placed under arrest. Tonight, the Arizona media and the ACLU pushing back against a law that they say limits filming law enforcement activity. We believe the role of local media is to be a voice for the voiceless, to hold truth to power. And this law cuts into accountability and it's scary for First Amendment access. The Arizona law is unprecedented. To our knowledge, no other government in the United States has ever tried to specifically prohibit and criminalize recording police. And that's why it's so good that this law has been blocked preliminarily and will hopefully be permanently enjoined by the court. The constitutional grounds against laws like HB 2319 are enormous. Every federal court that has discussed the issue has held that recording the police is expressive activity that is protected under the First Amendment. To be clear, organizations like EFF, uh, we think that more courts need to recognize this, more courts need to uphold this right in civil rights actions. There are issues when it comes to clearly protecting this right. For example, sometimes police officers who violate this will be taken to court and uh, the court will even say, yes, they probably violated this person's First Amendment right by preventing them from recording police activity, but we are going to grant qualified immunity to the police officer and not hold them accountable. Qualified immunity is a legal doctrine that basically gives special protection to police officers and other government agents from legal liability for violating people's rights. And it's a, it's a huge problem for the civil rights community and for people who want to protect their civil rights. A federal judge has temporarily stopped the enforcement of a new Arizona law that banned most people from recording police action up close. Today, that judge issued a preliminary injunction saying the law is likely unconstitutional. The law's author, Representative John Kavanaugh, told ABC 15 he's disappointed that Attorney General Mark Burnovich, the state government's lawyer, would not defend the law. Another police agency or prosecutor or leaders of the state house or Senate could still volunteer to join the court case to argue in favor of the videotaping ban. And at a later date, the federal judge will decide whether to permanently stop enforcement. This is part of a concerted effort to chip away at any ability to hold police accountable at any level. And I think with this law in particular, there's, there's already issues around qualified immunity, right? Which even with video recording, right? It's hard to hold police accountable in the court of law. And so this law, I, I feel like isn't even a part of that. Like it, it goes a step further. This law around recording people 
is is to me in a large part about allowing police to continue to do what they're designed to do, which is make sure that people are exploitable within prison. The impact of not being able to film police within eight feet is more about our ability to exonerate our own people. Like that's really what that tool has been utilized for. Yes, to hold police accountable, but again, in a lot of ways, the police, the police union, the police lobby has, has fought that fight with qualified immunity. And so this legislation seemed to be like, let's also take away their ability to pull rights for, for movement to be able to pull our comrades out of the system. And that was really frightening. It was super frightening given what we had just seen <laughs> transpire in 2020. One of the biggest investigations in Valley history, and tonight, you're about to see the scandal is far from over. In our politically charged investigation, we expose Phoenix police and county prosecutors inventing a gang, then falsely charging protesters as members. Tonight, ABC 15 chief investigator Dave Biscoming just obtained new texts and emails, and as you're about to see, they directly connect the county attorney, Phoenix police chief, and even a city councilman. Ever since we broke the story, top leaders have distanced themselves from the decision to charge these protesters as gang members. But that will be harder to do after tonight. These never before seen texts and emails were included in new legal claims. And that means even more lawsuits are likely. For months, this group of protesters faced criminal gang charges, dozens of years in prison. The case was built on wild lies and exaggerations. One example, police and prosecutors told the grand jury the group was like the Bloods, Crips, and Hells Angels. County attorney Alistair Adele's office was ultimately responsible for bringing the false gang charges. So for months, she was saying, you know, I wasn't aware. I only had a snippet of information. I wasn't exactly aware. Did you ever believe that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Joe Larios is with Mass Liberation AZ. The activist organization defended the falsely charged protesters from the beginning. We brought him in to get reaction to the new evidence. And here, here, just read these. These are text messages between the top staff. Before we show you the proof, first a quick timeline. October 17th, 2020, the group of protesters is arrested. Then 10 days later, grand jury indicted them on the gang charges. Between October 30th and November 3rd, Adele and her top aides exchanged repeated messages about how to respond to news reports. In this text, the PR director asks if the county attorney is okay with the statement. Adele responds, yes. Absolutely. I mean, when you, when you think about it, it's like she spent most of 2021 lying to the public about this. Nowhere in the messages does it show Adele or her top staff were surprised at the gang charges or worried about them. The new notice of claim also shows MCAO executives kept a, quote, riot tracker spreadsheet to track protest cases for their own review. Rather than then questioning about whether or not she knew, it's clear she knew. I think the thing that we got to start looking at is how much time was she spending lying to buy time to essentially cover all of this up? MassLib went virtual. Real early in the pandemic, then I think a lot of our movement, brothers and sisters. And so we were largely a virtual organization. So a lot of our, our main staff and folks weren't necessarily on the streets, but our base was. And so our role was a little different. And so I just want to name that first and foremost, is that thank goodness for the security culture and investment that a lot of our movement from Black Liberation Movement to Migrant Rights had invested. 
people were already trained in terms of legal observation and the tools of legal observation, which includes footage and a camera. We had learned a lot by 2020. And so we knew where the different hotspots were. We were the, the folks that were kind of monitoring the chats, right, of, of what was happening, how, how were police moving during these actions. When folks got caught up, we had folks in the field who knew who they were, were able to already get name, birth date, right, who, when, when and where they were taken. And our job was to then find them in the system on the back end. And so that was kind of our role. Another part of our role, so it was like we got called in when shit hit the fan, so to speak, and police engaged and caught someone up. One of the things that we also did was dispatch lawyers for initial appearances. And that put us in contact with folks who were, again, on the front lines, directly impacted by police targeting. And they were like, oh, we have a lawyer. Who are you from? And they're like, we, you know, we were sent by Maslib AZ. I say all that context because that relationship with the protesters meant that we were able to get to know well, who were your friends that were recording, who was around you. And we got, right, if we had someone who was locked up, it was like, cool. For the people who were running security at the event that contacted us in the first place about person X, we were able to say, all right, can you gather whatever footage you have of that moment? I will also say we had really great protesters who had been new to movement in general, but were like eager to figure out how to do their part. They archived and collected so much video footage. And so we were the hub to collect it all. And then what we would do for the protesters who ended up catching a charge, we had, I think, like 400 some arrests during the first few protests. Out of those 400, like 160 of them caught a serious felony charge. The very beginning of our politically charged investigation, we have been clear and direct. Phoenix Police and the Maricopa County Attorney's Office worked together to frame a group of protesters. They exaggerated and lied to charge the group as a criminal street gang. And now the court agrees. But prior to ABC 15's reporting, they were facing possible prison time their lives as they knew them hanging in the balance. But tonight, those gang charges permanently dismissed. And all of these were the fake charges that ultimately all got dismissed. But the reason they got dismissed is because we were able to say, okay, let's get some volunteers in to look and screen through the footage concerning each and every case. And that was huge for the lawyers to be able to exonerate all of these protesters. Out of the 414 arrests, the 160 felonies, I think 39 of those were charged with the trumped up street gang charge, like facing 105 years, like up to 105 years each. All of those were thrown out because we were able to coordinate in this way. This group of police protesters was arrested in late October and charged as a criminal street gang. More than seven months later, in a court ruling filed on June 4th, Judge Jennifer Ryan Tohill finally dismissed those charges with prejudice. That means they're dismissed for good. And her ruling is harsh. She wrote, A Phoenix officer and county prosecutor colluded in their efforts to present the grand jury with false information 
regarding a non-existent gang. See, months ago, we exposed the secret grand jury testimony showing police and prosecutors compared the small group of protesters to the Bloods, Crips, and Tells Angels. Also, officials told jurors this group met the definition of a gang for three reasons. They wore black, chanted together, and carried umbrellas. In addition to calling police and prosecutors' presentation clearly false, misleading, and inflammatory, the judge also used these other descriptions. Egregious misconduct, ridiculous, unfathomable, baffling, absurd, and weak, disingenuous, and unprofessional. We see in so many cases that it is the video footage that exonerates our people, maybe holds the, the cop accountable, but the main primary benefit has been to exonerate our people. And if we're not able to do that, then the police is able to be successful in what they're designed to do. So that's how I understand this law and where it fits in the grand scheme of pro-cop legislation. After months of waiting, the murder trial of Derek Chauvin is underway in Minneapolis. In the past two hours, we've gotten essentially a preview of what the next two or three weeks will look like as this trial is underway. You heard first from the prosecution who came up and played that video. They first previewed the video and played that video and set a new time here. You know, so many times you heard eight minutes and 46 seconds. Well, they said that George Floyd was under the knee of that ex-Minneapolis Police Department officer, Derek Chauvin, for nine minutes and 29 seconds. And you see how crucial this video is going to be as part of their case. Day two of the murder trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin involved emotional testimony from people who witnessed the death of George Floyd. Among those witnesses, the teenage girl who recorded that disturbing video of Floyd's final moments. Darnella Frazier broke down in tears discussing the cell phone video she posted nearly a year ago and how it has changed her life. Prosecutors Tuesday called her and five other eyewitnesses to the stand. They described the horror they felt as they urged Officer Chauvin to release Floyd. One man said he believed he was witnessing a murder. If a law like Arizona, which prohibits recording the police within eight feet, had been in effect at the time and place where George Floyd was killed, we may never have seen that video. That video may never have been recorded because it would have been illegal under that law. And it was, in fact, that closeness that really evoked such terror and fear and trauma and all of the other emotions that so many people felt watching it and that motivated people to go out on the streets. When you are removed from a situation and cannot capture details up close, the effect of it, the, the proximity to it goes down. And in very specific ways, I mean, you know, those and other videos of his murder were used as evidence. And the specific details that they showed as far as what were police doing, what was each action taken every five or 10 seconds, those details were important. And they have, again, been important in many other cases where protesters have been victims of police misconduct but are facing felonies for assaulting the police and where other people have been uh, victimized, abused, or even killed by police. On June 4th, a 75-year-old protester approached a group of police officers during a demonstration for George Floyd in Buffalo, New York. Things escalated quickly when two officers shoved the protester to the ground. He was sent to the hospital for a head injury and is still recovering. 
The video is a striking example of police violence captured on camera as protesters across the country demand justice for George Floyd. But this type of force is not limited to one police department or one city, as has been made clear with countless videos splattered across social media. The question is, how is law enforcement addressing these videos after they go viral? In the Buffalo case, the police department suspended the two officers without pay. They were then charged with second-degree assault. Both pleaded not guilty. An officer from Philadelphia faced similar consequences after a video showed him striking a student with his baton. Now the officer faces multiple charges, ranging from aggravated assault to recklessly endangering another person. The student received about 10 staples and 10 stitches for a head wound. So being able to record these videos is essential to holding police accountable. And on the flip side, holding police accountable and protesting uh, against injustices like the murder of George Floyd are exactly where it is important to be able to record the police and do so within eight feet and within proximity to what is going on on the ground. I think it's no secret. Black folks in particular have been putting forward this issue of police brutality, police violence, police accountability since the beginning. But it, you know, it's the resurgence of the video recording and the virality of it all that has thrust this back into the public spotlight. And, you know, these police unions may be unscrupulous, but they're not dumb. They see the writing on the wall and they are absolutely not afraid to use the significant positions of power and privilege, their ability to fund political campaigns and to ride this dominant narrative that to be in alignment with police is to be in alignment with public safety is thought of as like really good politics still, especially here in Arizona. And, and so, you know, I think the police know that. Well, there you have it. Once again, this is Newsbeat's host, Manny Faces, extending a huge, huge thank you to you for listening. We told you this was a wild story. Now, if you want to learn more about what's going on in Arizona, particularly as it relates to these incomprehensible gang charges against protesters, check out ABC Arizona 15. Go to their YouTube page and search for their investigation into gang charges. We'll also link to some reports in our Substack. That's where you'll also find links to Mass Liberation AZ so you can learn more about its work. And the Electronic Frontier Foundation, one of the premier digital rights organizations in the country. In an era of increased corporate power and surveillance, EFF has played a crucial role in protecting civil liberties and standing up to powerful interests. Now, speaking of that newsletter, you can learn more about us and what we do by subscribing at newsbeat.substack.com for new drops, important bonus commentary, and much more. Check out all our previous episodes, extended guest and artist bios on the episodes that feature our artists and residents and other friends in the hip-hop community, and much more at usnewsbeat.com. And be sure to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Every little bit of love helps, so we thank you in advance. We also wanted to wish you a happy, healthy holiday season. It's been another fun and educational year for the Newsbeat crew. We've brought in many of the issues we cover to include climate change and unfettered capitalism, and we hope to do more of that in 2023. I know it's been a difficult couple of years for a lot of us, so we hope you could find time to unwind and enjoy the company of friends and family. So once again, sending big love to everyone for listening. Be safe. And as always, remember, all the power to the people. We'll be back in 2023.
Peace and love. I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophet of Rage. And this is News Beat. This is a Many Faces Media production. Many Faces! You sick for this one. Sick for this one.